This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's the last day of August 2022. This Wednesday, we thank you for downloading or live streaming Real Talk. However, you're getting it. We appreciate it. Ryan Jesperson here with John Hicks, the technical producer of the show. We've just pushed out. You have just pushed out yeah. this week's edition of Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. Another fun episode with the dynamic duo. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> eager for you to check this one out. Let us know what you think. I believe this is episode five. Mm-hmm. We thank everybody that's uh, subscribing to that, where you subscribe to your podcast. You can hit us up on YouTube as well and watch it there. And it means a ton to us when you're listening in the podcast app when you just click on share and tell your friends about it. We cut through the noise of the week's news and politics in a half hour or less guaranteed. And this week we talk about online hate, offline realities. And uh, that's kind of the same, to be honest. I just, I guess I kind of took pause there for a second because I'm realizing I, I could really just blaze into our first interview mm-hmm. by teeing it up that exact same way. Dr. Jody Gondek is the mayor of Calgary, and we're going to be talking to her in just a second about a powerful Twitter thread that she put out 17 tweets where she said, I know that a lot of you have been wondering why I haven't publicly commented on what happened to the deputy uh, prime minister to Christia Freeland. And then she gets into it and uh, it's powerful stuff. So Jody Gondek coming up in just a few minutes. Max Fawcett, lead columnist for Canada's National Observer, will join us a little bit later on in the show. Max is coming on to fact check this whole Justin Trudeau climate cops story. We wanted to just cut right to it and get the truth of the matter. So when you're talking about it with your friends or when you're hearing politicians talk about it, you know, right now, most notably Danielle Smith in Alberta uh, with her Paul Blart tweet that did its job. It got in front of everybody, right? But the problem is, is it's not really factually accurate. You know what I mean? Bit of a problem. So Max is going to take a look at that. We want you to be informed. We want you to understand the truth about what's going on around you. But I'm also going to hit Max pepper him with a bunch of other questions about things that are happening in the news. And I doubt he'll mind, you know, for example, a big budget surplus in our home province of Alberta, Premier Jason Kenney announcing it and then Finance Minister Jason Nixon talking to Kelly Kreiderman in the Globe and Mail about it. Uh, Alberta was expecting a budget surplus of about five hundred and fifty one million dollars, which is a lot ish. Uh, But it's, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, really a pittance. It's crumbs compared to what Alberta's budget surplus is actually going to look like uh, more than $13 billion, thanks to high resource revenue. And then, of course, as the premier argues as well, because Alberta's got its spending under control, the government doesn't want to go on the record and have everybody believe that Alberta's uh, back in, uh, you know, the zone where it likes to be a surplus budget. Uh, Alberta's back in the black, so to speak, uh, just because we got lucky with things like natural gas and world oil prices. Of course, the government wants to remind you they promised they would rein in spending and they will say this is evidence that we have done that. Always campaigning, right? Nothing wrong with that. That's politics. It is what it is. Uh, I want to ask Max, though, what he thinks a prudent use of that $13 billion would be. I'll go on the record, and I'm curious to know where you're at as well, Real Talkers. You can hit us up with an email, talk at ryanjesperson.com. We've got some great ones this morning. Uh, You can use our hashtag, RealTalkRJ, to make sure we see it on Twitter or on Instagram if you're posting there. Uh, I actually think that the government's plan with regards to what they're going to do with that $13 billion right now 
is a prudent one. I actually think, I mean, now here's the thing. Finance Minister Jason Nixon in that interview with Kreiderman, uh, he says, you know, we're going to take a significant chunk of it and pay off a significant chunk of Alberta's debt and then invest about $3 billion into the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, which is what we want to be able to point to when our kids and grandkids and their grandkids say, what did you do with all that money in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s? What did you do with all that money? We want to be able to point to that Heritage Savings Trust Fund. But Albertans are looking around them as well and seeing what's happening in Saskatchewan, 500 bucks. Quebec, I think it's between four and six hundred bucks, about five hundred bucks as well, let's say, from politicians that, of course, are also looking at a little bit more cash in their jeans than they expected. They're looking around them, reading the room. They're seeing that people's costs are up for utilities, for variable rate mortgages and loans, lines of credit and the like, the, the price they're paying at the pumps and politicians like Scott Moe, for example, are saying maybe a $500 uh, cash infusion back to the electorate, oh, pardon me, to the, to the general population uh, is, is the better move uh, and maybe is, is the more uh, or the less, uh, what do I say? It's, it's the more sexy move, right? You, you give people back their money. Who doesn't want 500 bucks? Now, of course, this government will say, well, we're also going to re-index income tax, which is a big deal. Now I'm getting into the weeds. It gets a little bit boring, but it is significant. We'll ask Max what he thinks the government should do with that $13 billion and, and other news of the day as it breaks. Also found myself in a, a, a bit of a strange situation, Johnny, uh, yesterday. A, a, a bit of a quandary. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to leave her worship waiting. Uh, Jody Gondek will join us in a little bit. But but I did want to tee this up. Uh, for context, yesterday, I'm out walking my dog. He's 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 at an advanced age, if it's relevant. I want yeah. you to have the details that matter. Uh, Moses, he's a 10-year-old boxer. He's a beautiful boy, uh, but he doesn't he can't handle like big, long walks. He doesn't need to be out. It was it was uh, a heat warning was in effect. My phone told me it was 29 Celsius at the time mm -hmm. uh, for any of our American friends. You're, you're, you're getting cold. You're around 90 at that point, 85, 90 degrees. Yeah. And so we're keeping his walks to like 10 minutes. Huge shout out, by the way, to homeowners that put dishes of water on their front lawns. I see them everywhere. It is such a thoughtful Businesses thing everywhere. to do. Yeah. So thoughtful. And dog owners really appreciate that. So I'm walking, Moses. We're like, you know, five minutes into our walk. There's uh, a utility van. There's like a worker's van, a big white van, uh, you know, the panel van type idea mm -hmm. that's there. Um, there's construction happening in a home, a renovation happening in a home. They've got like the, the big saws are out set up on the front lawn. I can hear them working. Uh, and, and and as we're walking past this panel van, I'd noticed the sound of the saws and the smell of sawdust, which is fantastic. One of the greatest smells in the world, but I digress. Gasoline's the only thing better <laughs> <laughs> fresh cut grass maybe top yeah, three top three yeah. so we're walking by and all of a sudden and and, and my dog's kind of like tensing up as we're walking past this van and i can't quite figure it out and then all of a sudden wham there's a big and and people are going to say i'm cracking down and i'm being discriminatory towards breeds i'm not i'm just again providing you context uh there is in my estimation about a hundred pound pit bull in the front seat of that van that I hadn't mm -hmm. noticed before and and he's got his and he's wedging his snout through the window that's down about six inches on, on both sides driver passenger down about six inches okay. on both sides and he starts and, and of course Moses our boxer and, and they probably really just want to play uh, but you never know again not the point but you need to know the context I had a big dog on a leash there was a big dog in the front of the, the van windows are down six inches the van is not running and it's 29 Celsius outside. It's hot as hell. So 
I'm in this situation and I'm and I'm like and I'm waiting and I stood outside that house for about ten minutes mm-hmm. and no one was coming in and out. And I'm sitting there wondering what to do about this dog. Right? This is the point where my wife would break the glass, probably. She is huh. this is a big thing for it's a big thing for everybody, I think. Yeah. So the first thing I did was text a friend who happens to be a police officer and, and just ask her what she thought I should do. And mm-hmm. her advice I'll share it with you in just a second. But then, of course, we host a talk show where we get people talking. We have real talk, real conversations about things that really happen. And so I threw it out on Twitter. I said, a worker's van is parked on our street, front windows down, six inches or so. The engine's turned off. It's 29 degrees with a heat warning in effect. There's a dog in the van. Doesn't appear to be in distress yet. Do I? And then I asked, do I mind my own business? Do I call the police non-emergency line? Or do I find a worker? Find the worker. Find the person driving the van and say something. And 3,980 of you have voted thus far. I mean, as we're doing this live Wednesday morning at 842 Mountain, 1042 Eastern, there's still three hours left if you want to chime in on this poll. Early on, though, are you surprised to see the numbers? Just a a, a slim uh, majority, 55% of people say you should find the worker and say something. 36%, just over a third, say you should call the police non-emergency line. And about nine and a half, let's call it 10%, say Mind your own business. Yeah, it seems, yeah, common sense. Find the worker. Did you find him? So, no, I didn't. And I wasn't going to walk into the house. And again, I had my dog. But like I said, I was out in front of the house for about 10 minutes. And so mm-hmm. I get a text back from my friend who knows what she's talking about. And she suggested that I call. And I, I would imagine the numbers would differ city to city. But in our city, the non-emergency sort of city information line is 311. They said, call 311. And then I heard from like Edmonton's Humane Society. And some people started responding to my tweets. And, and we can get to more of those responses in just a moment. After we talked to Mayor Gondek, I'm curious to know what you would have done in that circumstance. A lot of the comments from people were like, smash the window out, get the dog, (laughs) like get the dog immediately. And then we've got an email that I want to share with you later in the show. As a matter of fact, I'll commit to sharing it. And you know that that's a thing, because if the show runs long, I'm still going to read this from Christy, who says this whole thing about dogs and vehicles drives me nuts. But I don't think she's going to take it in the direction where most of you think she might. That's coming up before we say goodbye today. Mayor Jody Gondek, in just a moment, I wanted to remind you that uh, there's a big deadline looming with this Covenant Foundation lottery. We've been telling you about this at covenantfoundationlottery.ca for about a month now. Uh, Covenant Health at the forefront of technological innovation. Uh, They've become a leader in palliative and urgent care, but they need to prepare for the future, and that takes money. (laughs) Here's where you come in. For the last 30 years, Covenant Foundation Lotteries played a huge role in making a difference for those in their care. You can support them and their 30 years of life-changing wins by getting your tickets to the Covenant Foundation Lottery today. Now, here's why you want to do it today because tomorrow, September 1st, is the bonus prize deadline. All right, that's when they're giving away a Tesla Model S or a hundred grand cash. The actual draw on September 15th, but the deadline is tomorrow, Thursday, September 1st. Get your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca or call 1-888-944-2774. Our friends at Athabasca University are seeing thousands and thousands of Canadians from coast to coast to coast checking out athabascau.ca to find their fit. 
They're not necessarily, of course, looking at this as a long-term commitment. Some students might just be looking at upgrading a course or taking a micro course or maybe just getting up to speed on something catching their eye like artificial intelligence or any of the other dozens and dozens and dozens of programs and courses. Now, here's the beautiful thing about it. If it is a good fit and you want to stick with it, maybe go pursue a degree program, participate in some of the research happening there. You can do it on a schedule that fits your lifestyle. That's why Athabasca University is Canada's online university at AthabascaU.ca. And before we get to Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek, I want to remind you that across the province of Alberta, Park Power is powering homes, farms, businesses, electricity, natural gas, and internet. And you can compare rates today. I can almost guarantee, not technically or officially, but almost guarantee that you're going to be paying less with parkpower.ca. In most circumstances, that is the case. You bundle the services, all three of them, you're going to save dough there. And then $70 knocked off your first bill when you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK at parkpower.ca. It's been a while since we've spoken with Calgary's mayor, Dr. Jody Gondek. Uh, Of course, she was among those politicians, I would imagine, and everyday folks uh, that were appalled by what we saw in Grand Prairie when a private citizen approached a very public-facing figure, the deputy prime minister berating her with with profanity. Uh, Ultimately, of course, it's got people talking about online hate and angst and when it translates into offline behavior, interactions like this one at Grand Prairie City Hall. Dr. Jody Gondek, Calgary's mayor, joining us live on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for making time for us. It's nice to see you again. It's good to see you too, Ryan. What was your very first feeling? Uh, what was your very first sort of gut instinct or what did it trigger in your mind the very first time you saw that video? I turned it off. I uh, couldn't watch it. Somebody showed it to me and I was about two seconds in and I said, please turn that off. I can't do this right now. And I waited a couple hours until I was in a different headspace, watched it. And was not shocked, was not surprised, was just so disappointed and saddened that this keeps happening. How common is it for you to see a video with content like that and actually turn it off? Is, is, is that typically how you are or was this somewhat of a unique circumstance? No, that's typically how everyone in my office is, quite yeah. frankly. We will tell each other that something is going on. We'll watch a couple of seconds of it and not have to watch anymore. Um, you know, I don't need to see everything that happened to understand how horrifying the situation is and how it would have made the individual that is the subject of that sort of assault. You took a while to speak publicly about this. Um, you tweeted about it on August 28th, just a few days ago. You said, I've been asked by some people why I haven't made a public statement about the assault on our deputy prime minister. Why did you wait a while? Um, it's interesting. People always want you to weigh in and, and say something right now. Like you should call this out. And I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure most people know that I, I wouldn't condone this type of behavior. Um, do I really need to say that this is a terrible thing? I'm, I'm fairly certain that people understand that. And then I spent some time thinking about it and asked myself the question, do I continue to stay quiet about my own experiences? Because it's frankly painful to relate them. And I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about using my platform to explain to people that these things happen to those of us that are in elected positions. They happen to people who are journalists. They happen to people who are 
just trying to do their job. And you need to be aware that this stuff goes on in the world if it doesn't come into your own little bubble. So it was a lot of wrangling in my mind about whether my responsibility was to use my platform or whether I just needed to take care of myself and not go public with this. Ultimately, I made the choice to use my platform. Uh, people should read the entire thread. It, it only takes a couple of minutes. Uh, it's on your Twitter page at Jody Gondek, and we'll link to it in the description of this podcast as well as our description on YouTube. Uh, you talk about how this this brought up feelings of pain and fear. You say, yes, fear. I was talking to Sapria Devetti earlier this morning. We do that podcast seriously with Sapria and Ryan. And I said to her when I was pushing out my comment on that video, I said, this is quite frankly terrifying. And some of the feedback I got from <laughs> feedback might be a generous word, but some of the comments I got in return from people, oh, is it terrifying? Was it really terrifying when somebody has different ideas? Is it really terrifying when somebody comes up to you to challenge you? Is it terrifying when, you know, this kind of thing? People, pe- people are cynical about the pain or the fear that something like this can, can stir up within the general population, so to speak. And, and let me state the obvious that, you know, I'm a relatively young 210 pound man. And I'm saying that this is something that can terrify me. Can you give us some insights from where you're at on this and why you chose to use the word fear? I chose to use the word fear because we don't use it. We're trained not to, we are told to never show fear. We're told to be strong and suck it up and don't ever let anyone know that something has hurt you. And I think that's a problem. Um, So if we don't start talking about things that make us fearful, I I don't think we're ever going to expose this for what it is. And, you know, like I said, in the tweet thread, let me be clear that I'm not so scared. I'm not going to do my job. No one's going to make me stop doing this work that I love and is so important to do. So the fear is something I live with. It's not something I live in. So that distinction needs to be made. But if we don't actually talk about the fact that people who have no business acting in this manner are making life not only difficult, but terrifying for some of us, then I don't know what we're going to do. Like We need to be honest and have a real conversation. Yeah. Let me fast forward to, to the end of your thread where you say you, you demand action and you call on all of us to take action. So so. Before we return back, why don't we right now cut to the chase? Here's the point of this conversation and the conversations that need to follow something like this is what are we going to do about it? And ultimately, I guess, whose responsibility is it? Whose shoulders does this fall on? So so let's talk it out. Where would you start? I think one of the biggest problems we have is within the legislation, within the criminal code, um, and in order to prosecute somebody, the victim needs to demonstrate that they felt fear or intimidation. And so the whole process is a burden to, you know, the so-called victim. I, I hate that word. The person to whom this was done is the one that has to say, yes, this made me fearful. And therefore, I think it's something that you need to prosecute. Why wouldn't we just make the legislation stronger? And why don't we make the threshold pretty clear by which you can prosecute someone? You can't say those words to an elected official. You can't stand in front of my house, 40 of you, and protest. You can't leave a costume horse's head on my driveway and get away with it. Why don't we just make it the actions that need to be demonstrated and not how it makes the victim feel? Because you expose that person over and over again to having to tell that story and sit and deal with the emotions that it brings up. Yeah, you shared that story. That was, I think you said April 2022. That's 
like four months ago. Um, for, I think most people know that the horse head is a reference to the Godfather. But do you want to? I mean, this is it's essentially a. I don't know, Jody. Do you like? Is it a death threat? It, to me, it. I don't know if it's like clearly stated, but it, it's like one of the most well-known movie references of all time from from a guy that's about to get whacked. Um, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't mean to make light of it. Um, do you consider that to be a death threat? How did that, that? How did you or your team handle that? Can can you? I know there's details you won't share with us about security. That's understandable. Uh, but what can you tell us about that incident in particular and how you processed it? Well, if you really get down to the symbolism of the horse's head, the point that was made in The Godfather was, I can get this close to you yeah. anytime I want to. And that's the point that was being made. Hey, I know where you live. I'm leaving this thing. You know what it means. I'm going to glue this sticker to your door, your front door of your home that compares the pandemic to the Holocaust and then I'm going to screech up and down your street for a good couple of minutes and leave all my tire marks in front of your house so you never forget I was here. So that, that's fantastic that some Calgarian thought that that's something they could do. And guess what? Can't press charges. Doesn't meet the threshold. Hmm. Oh, so man. even when you do the right thing and you write a victim statement, that's not easy to write. And you have to sit and unpack how this thing made you feel. And you have to be honest with people about, you know what? I'm not really crazy about taking my dog for a walk by myself now. I don't like going to the backyard to let Smokey out by myself when it's dark. So, like, is that the stuff people need to hear? Like, hey, everybody, do you really need me to tell you all of these things and expose my soul before you take it seriously? Okay, here you go. How can we... Uh... How can we address that? Like, is that is that is that at a legislative level? Is it a policing level? Is it a societal attitude kind of a thing? Because you just said a few minutes ago, um, and and I understand why you don't like the word victim. A lot of times, people want to use the word survivor, and then people wonder, well, am I misapplying survivor? Am I? You know, we can really get into that. But I understand why nobody wants to say victim because that's kind of the whole point. Is you want to yep. say, I will not be silenced. I will not be deterred. I will not be intimidated. Um. You know, I, I, gosh, it was interesting. Even Alana Natchew joined us, mayor of Sturgeon County, just a couple of days ago. And we were there to talk about something completely different. But of course, I was going to ask her about this. And you know what she told me? She told me when she saw this, she said she, she had kind of a, a wisecrack response. She told us that, that, that her initial response was to tweet, I think I got a voicemail from this guy's brother yesterday. Uh-huh. And then she realized she dialed it back. And she said on this show, she says, intimidation works. And most people don't want to just stare into a camera and admit that they want to say this isn't going to work on me. Yet you're telling us that we have to hear that in order for most people to take it more seriously. So maybe we all need to change our attitudes. We haven't taken it seriously when, uh, you know, we packed it up and put it away and kept doing our job. Mm. No one's taking it seriously. Like, I mean, these female journalists who had to do a podcast to tell people what they've gone through. No one's taking them seriously. Their lives are being threatened. They're being threatened with sexual assault. There's racist and misogynist comments being made about them. Daily. Daily. And we can't do anything. And, you know, I can tell you my experience with the Calgary Police Services, they're equally frustrated with the fact that the Crown can't press charges or won't press charges because certain things don't meet the threshold that's been set. So this is a systemic issue, you know, for everyone that, that, you know, wants to find a single cause, 
the system doesn't work. It doesn't work for people who go through things like this. And so we have to figure that out. But I think the bigger issue we have is the hate's not random anymore. It's not just some dude that walks up to you and says something. It's organized now. Like, don't think for a minute that uh, the guy in Grand Prairie just happened to stumble across Christian Freeland. This was an organized move. And if there's other people that sat down with him and said, hey, guess what? Think you should do this when you get the opportunity. And these are people that are recruiting folks that are feeling isolated and they feel like they don't belong anywhere anymore. That's how this movement is building. Let's be honest about that. Before we, uh, and I know you've obviously got a, a hard out here. You've got your, your schedule you've got to get to, and we really appreciate your time, Mayor. I've got just a couple of minutes left with you. Uh, I want to use those couple of minutes to, to to turn the camera back around to me and to us and to podcasters and talk radio hosts and newspaper columnists uh, and everybody else that tells stories, that has the privilege and the responsibility of having these platforms. In many circumstances, I don't have to tell you these platforms are being leveraged, are being torqued to amplify a lot of this and to spread misinformation. Um, Let's talk about the media. You share a story. I'm not going to name the outlet, but an independent conservative outlet shared information about your family, specifically your kid's name. And you talk about in your Twitter thread the impact that had on your family and on you. What does the media need to be better at? And, And, you know, if you would, Mayor, call us out. I got to tell you, most of the people that I deal with um, in the media and the journalists that I deal with, the reporters, the cameramen, the camera women, the folks that are doing the job of reporting the news are spectacular human beings. And they're undergoing a lot of the same threatening um, assaults that, you know, those of us in elected positions are getting. So I think, you know, we're kindred spirits in some ways. But I would, I would ask you to please think about the subject of your story and how they're going to interpret your words and what impact it's going to have on them. And I would also ask you to consider when we do something incredibly personal or something hurtful happens to us, give us some time to breathe. The story's not going to go away overnight. And I have to say, you know, total respect for all media outlets who let me have the time I needed before I came on, you know, yourself included. Um, Just remember that we're human, just like you are. And I think we'll be okay. But please keep talking about this. Please don't turn this into an incident that happened to a single person on a day and then seven days later, it's not news anymore. You got to keep talking about this. Keep shining a spotlight on it. Mayor, we always appreciate your candor uh, and your availability. Thanks for this. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. Yeah, you as well. That's uh, Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek. And you can read her Twitter th- thread, of course, uh, via her official account. And we link to the accounts of our guests when they have them. Uh, from our official account at Real Talk RJ. I also do want to mention just one more time, if you check out this week's edition of Seriously with Sapri and Ryan, it's our new podcast project. We're loving doing it. They come out every Wednesday, uh, a half hour or less. We cut through the noise and we move these stories forward. Yeah, we know that news outlets, and, and no fault of their own, it's what they do. We're grateful for it. They report the news. Uh, but there's not a lot of analysis about what it means. Where do we go from here? What do we do about it? That's the mandate of seriously and we talk about online hate and the offline implications of it in this week's edition of seriously you can check out more at seriouslypod.com we're going to get to max Fawcett in a little bit i want to drop in on some of your comments about dogs in cars (laughs) you know it's one of those things where you say oh here we go it's this time of year again we're going to be talking about dogs in cars or babies in cars it's going to be the same sort of a thing later in the year there's all these implications but i found myself in that circumstance personally yesterday and wondered what would you do 
And I thought that it was a great circumstance to talk about because you never know when someone hears something on Real Talk and maybe it has a positive impact or influence on the story somewhere down the line. You know what I'm talking about? Before we go any further, our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you to check your calendar. It's the 31st of August today. If you're hearing this, the day we're doing it, that means tomorrow, September 1st, is 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more at Friesen Brothers. 16 locations across the province. That's a big deal. 15% off your family's grocery bill. The first of every month at Friesen Brothers. That's what it is. Plus, check out their Healthy Insight events. How to be a better you. Expert advice. They've got their next event coming up in Edmonton, September 7th. You can get the details at Friesen.com. At Kubi Energy, they're providing solar energy solutions to power your life. I don't have time to get to it today because it just came in as we're doing the show. But, John, that means tomorrow we're going to share the story of a family. They were in touch with us, the Cordy family. Mm-hmm. They're Kubi Energy customers. And Terry says, here's the receipts. You know, people always want to see the receipts. Oh, this is going to save you money. This is going to you know, lead to better efficiencies with regards to your home or your family's energy consumption. Terry gave us the docs, and we're going to work through them. I'm excited to see it. A proud real talker and a Kubi customer. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. If you're a skilled engineer in Canada, but you're not happy where you're working, you feel like you've got all this potential, but you don't have confidence with the team that you're at or maybe just the workplace itself that you're going to reach that potential. If you would love to work with clients that, are looking to become more efficient and more profitable through leveraging their people power, you have to check out apexautomation.ca. You can learn more about their projects, their engineering, their fabrication, their automation, and then you can check out their careers link. Consider joining the team at Apex Automation today. And we mentioned this yesterday. Yeah, sure, there was a heat warning, and yeah, it's still beautiful outside, but pretty soon that temperature is going to start to drop, and you're going to wish that you would have taken the time to get in touch with Eden Landscaping for their excavation services. You can get that natural gas line run out to your garage, get a natural gas heater on a thermostat, and then you don't have to idle your car for 20 minutes. Hey, how does that sound? Gas, two bucks a liter? You want to be idling every morning through the winter? Not a chance. Why not channel that investment where it'll have its biggest impact with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. So we come across this vehicle, this work van. It's got its windows down six inches on both sides. It's 29 degrees outside. The van's not running, and there's a big dog in there. doesn't appear to be in distress. In other words, it's not sort of laid out with its tongue hanging out, lethargic, and showing all the signs that we've heard about from our city's respective humane societies or SPCAs. But what do you do in a situation like that? Johnny, earlier you said that if your wife had come across, she's walking your dog down the sidewalk <laughs> and she sees it, you think she might smash the window out. What she would wouldn't, you do? But she what would have, you do? She would have said it a lot. I, I probably would have gone with what the poll said, which w- would be try to find, uh, you know, whoever is related to the vehicle first. Uh, but if you're standing there for a long time, I mean, when I was in radio a few years ago, I did when we had a big heat wave between 35 and 40 degrees, we were getting up there. Yeah, I did an on air thing where I went into a car, rolled up the windows, sat in the sun what? just to see how it feels. How long? OK, so I sat in there about five, 10 minutes. I was drenched in sweat. I had a, a plate of s'mores. They melted at about the 15 minute mark. Oh, man. So I had a plate full of s'mores at about the 16, 17 minute mark. My phone went dead. Were you still? You're not still in the vehicle. I'm still in the vehicle. 
So my phone goes off. Now I'm off air because I was, you know, transmitting uh, through my phone. So that's how little time it takes for a human being. By about the 20 minute mark, I was feeling faint. I had to get out of the car. So it doesn't take long. And imagine an animal. They're smaller. They're covered in fur. So I feel like our uh, legal representatives would want us to suggest right now that nobody attempt what you (laughs) did in that circumstance. But you're right. Somebody shared with me. They said that temperature can rise uh, way quicker than you think in a vehicle. Anyway, let me get to some of your responses. These are what you told me on Twitter in response to my poll. Tim said, if possible, monitor the situation closely. If the worker comes back within a reasonable or safe amount of time, no worries. If it starts to get too long, check on the dog and then prepare to call bylaw or animal control. Meantime, Samantha, as a matter of fact, Samantha Williams Chapelsky, one of her paintings are Hank. Can, can we go to the wide shot for those that are watching on mm-hmm. YouTube? This painting, can I, I'm pointing at it right here. You, you can barely see it's a beautiful mountain in Jasper National Park right there. You see that one there? Uh, that's a Samantha Williams Chapelsky original. She says, call the fire department or police ASAP. Vanessa says, why do people do this? The, the windows being open don't really make a difference. You know, I would call the police, she says, and give us an update on this poor pup. Keith said, if the work van has a company name, give him a call. No. Mike said, I should steal the dog. I love this one from Adi, who said, if you have a yard or porch space available, you could tie the dog up. You know, assuming you're comfortable with it, you could offer to let the dog hang out on your front lawn and have some fresh water while the owner's working. I thought that was a great idea, Adi. Like Adi said, he doesn't sound like a bad owner. He did leave the window open. I mean, I hope so, right, Adi? He said, but he might just be a little too clueless as to how hot it's getting in there. Chris Cromwell, who's been on this show before. Uh, she's the host of that BIPOC outside podcast. Love Chris. She says, remove the dog from the vehicle by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, some of you are saying, please tell me this is a test question, not a test question. Unfortunately, uh, you know, Darth Cleric said, call three, one, one. It's not your job to deal with what will likely be conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I did call three, one, one. And then to be honest, I walked our dog home and then I was keeping a monitor on the situation. Ultimately, long story short, the van left uh, about 20 minutes after the fact before anybody showed up. So that that's kind of how it turned out. Um, you know, Uncle Jemima says, I have a new window breaker I'd like to test out. This is the thing that everybody says, but actually doing that like this, this tees up this this email quickly, which I, th- I think is a, a, an important one from Christy. It's another angle on this. And Christy says, Jespo, I saw your Twitter poll about the dog in the vehicle against every shred of better judgment I possess. I decided to have a look at the replies. And I was not surprised. And the ridiculous tone of this whole conversation just gets under my skin. So allow me to open myself wide for public criticism. Mm. And here's Christie's personal phone number. Uh, no, <laughs> she, she says the police have been called on me several times for having my dogs in my vehicle. And you know what has never once happened? My dogs being removed from my vehicle. She says if the animal is not in distress, people or police will not do anything. And nor should they. If the animal's not in distress, where they are is, say it with me, none of anyone's business, says Christy. There are an awful lot of people out there who wouldn't recognize a dog in distress if one bit them and are awfully keen to play the vigilante and to break windows for social media clout, and it's ill-considered. What are you going to do when the dog you just terrified by smashing the window out takes off? When it goes to bite you, what are you going to do when the trained protection dog in that crate shows you 42 really good reasons to keep your good intentions to yourself? I'm assuming dogs have 42 teeth. She says, stick your arm in the crate and hope for the best because you have a way with dogs. Pull them out and try to handle them. Have fun with that, I guess. She says, most so-called pet people don't even know how to hold a leash correctly. Never mind how to handle a dog like that. No offense. 
She says, look, I love dogs. I get it. We all want to help the doggos. It's easy to assume you have all the information you need to make a judgment call in the superstore parking lot when you've just had a hell of a day at work. And I guarantee you have nowhere near that. I would advise taking a deep breath, says Christy. Believe it or not, there are a great number of us out here in the world whose dogs have jobs or who do dog sports like scent detection or what have you who are very well equipped to keep dogs cool in heat. We adore our dogs just as much as anybody else and go to great expense, so much expense, she says, to keep them safe in the car. She says, my vehicle is temperature monitored. The temperature is logged. I know the exact temperature where my dog's crates sit at all times. I get a notification on my phone, and if it exceeds a certain temperature, the windows are tinted to the legal limit. I have battery-powered fans zip-tied to their crates. The vehicle has air conditioning and remote start. She says, sure, call the cops. Don't do me any favors. I'll stand around and wait with you. I have time. What I will not do is explain myself to you because I don't owe you any explanations. That from Christy. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate the email, Christy, but (laughs) I'd rather take the chance and (laughs) and save a life. Here's that picture I was talking about. So here's when I did it on the radio. So that was me before. And I just read the post. And I basically said the first five, 10 minutes are the worst. After that, your body adjusts. At 15 minutes, I was able to cook this plate of s'mores just sitting on the dashboard. By 40 minutes, I wanted to lay down and sleep. That's why children and dogs pass out. And sometimes people think, oh, they're fine. They were laying down in the back seat. They're getting ready to, like, you know, be seriously injured. So thanks for the email, Christy. But Jeez. I would. <laughs> Uh, I mean, at least call someone. I, I don't want to go around. Called three one one. Didn't call nine one one. I wouldn't uh, go around breaking people's windows, but 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 hey, listen. If it, let's be clear, if a you baby? are in a park, if there's a baby uh, yeah. or or a dog and like that is clearly in distress, obviously break the window. Yeah. Like like oh, I saw the baby, but I didn't want to break the window. But different with your story, story. He was different he was story. Around. He was. You know, he, if he, I really wanted to, I could have walked onto the construction site. And I mean, there were some complicating. <laughs> but like, if I really wanted to. I could have gone in there like a, you know, anyway, Edmonton Humane Society, and this is never going to be tied up neatly with a bow. We'll ask Max Fawcett what he would do in this circumstance. The Edmonton Humane Society says, thanks for watching out for the dog. If it's showing signs of distress, like panting, pacing, drooling, trying to escape or is lethargic, please call 911. If it's not in distress, it can be reported to animal care and control by calling 311. And then they say you can find more information on pet safety uh, online, obviously. A whole bunch of you chimed in, and I wanted to get to another comment. I'll find it here quickly. This is uh, something, uh, you know, we heard from some veterinarians as well. A, a medical doctor chimed in on this. Some of you pointing out that the new Teslas do have dog mode, mm-hmm. which is pretty sweet. They're climate controlled in the car while it's sitting there parked. And the thing about the Tesla, you know, they have those beautiful big screens on the dash. Yeah. Uh, the screen has a Kids message my for people okay. outside that'll say, my dog's okay. The temperature is this. Which... Again, though, I don't know if I trust a, you know, a computer. You know? You're seeing all the stuff about the Teslas right now with the automatic stop with the, you know, parents are some of them placing their kids in front of them. You see these videos right now that are happening? No. So uh, a bunch of uppity like Tesla, you know, investors and people have the cars are, are trying to prove the point that the Tesla automatic stop system works. Oh, and they keep running into things. Yeah. So Tesla or somebody not from Tesla actually was doing some tests showing with, I think they were like cutouts, like cardboard or wood of kids. Right. And the Teslas weren't stopping. They were running them over. And then a, a parent who uh, was invested in Tesla and, and you know, got online and put his child. He went eight miles an hour, which is very slow. 
and the car stopped. Well, is it that slow? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to get hit by a car going? What is that? Like four? That's like 13, 14 kilometers an hour. But anyways, okay, okay, I the automatic stop system worked. So in other words, now people are saying, and I haven't seen the videos, but are people basically saying the Tesla knows it's just cardboard, so it's hitting it? Exactly. It knew it wasn't a real life. But like, I think you're right. Like, why <laughs> let the kid drive and the dad stand in front of it rather? But uh, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah. systems fail, right? Why would you want to hear a horror story? Mm. Like, we know systems fail. Darren Markland, a doctor, he's been on this show many times. As a matter of fact, Dr. Markland was with us the very first week of this show's existence. He's one of, I think, four people that have had in-studio interviews on Real Talk. Dr. Markland, just a rock star. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Dagley. He says, I'll pass this on to the Biking Veterinarian, which is a great follow. I recommend them on Twitter, the, at the Biking Vet. He says, but dogs uh, do not have the human superpower of sweating. Evaporative heat loss is super efficient. Dogs depend on high-minute volume respiration for thermal regulation, mm. right? A breeze is good for sweat, but not for panting. So open windows aren't a solution. And then the biking vet chimes in and says, the dog needs to be out of that van ASAP. The interior, this is a veterinarian, okay? The interior temperature of a parked car on a warm day can increase by over one degree Celsius per minute. Oh, it was, yeah. And even in the shade with windows down, it gets deathly hot very quickly and dogs wear fur coats and can't sweat. So yeah, Get it out now. That from the biking vet. So got, you a, got a comment here asking why you've got a candle burning on the desk. Today. They noticed <laughs> that is a yeah. sharp eye. Yeah. Who is that? Uh, Jespo, why do you have it? Who is that on the live chat? I don't have my live chat open right now, to be honest with you. Uh, no. Rose M. Rose asked, M. That's why we have a candle burning today. I like, you know what? We, we don't we do this. We don't sense. do this all the time. Rose M. Send us an email. To talk at ryanjesperson.com, prove to us somehow that you're the Rose M from the chat, and we'll send you a Real Talk t-shirt. I love this. I think every once in a while, somebody's got to see something on the show that's a little, they notice something a little bit Easter different. Egg. A little Easter egg. Um, Rose, this is a sweet balsam candle. Uh, this is from the great group uh, Brand and Iron. These are handmade in Vancouver. And I don't know, I guess it's just because we've been in here since 6 o'clock this morning, and I felt like... Burning a candle while you we did came the show. In and you said, "I think it's a candle day." I said, "I think it's a candle day." It's like Johnny's talking pumpkin spice lattes yesterday. Now I'm burning sweet balsam candles. You know, it's just a bunch of hippies, eh? <laughs> Max Fawcett is the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer and a very good friend of this show. Max, have you ever found yourself in a in a situation, a circumstance where you've come across an an animal or heaven forbid, a child in a parked car in heat? I don't mean an animal in heat. Let me be clear. Not an animal in heat. <laughs> an, an animal when it's hot out. That is a different kind of crisis. No, I, uh, I, have, I, I have never been in that situation. I am so impressed by people who have the intestinal fortitude to break a window and, and save a dog's life. You know, I, I think I would much rather err on the side of, of pissing off a human being than not doing something that could have helped a dog or a child. So... You know, uh, I, I think that the Tesla magic technology is a great idea. I think leaving a sign in your window, if you're all mm -hmm. over this stuff, as that as that uh, that other listener said they were, I guess that helps. But I'm if I see a dog struggling inside a car, like I really don't care about 
private property. That's, yeah. that's not the most important thing at that time. Uh, you know, that's not the most important thing. I, I do not discriminate against dog species. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just, you know, just pointing out the obvious though. People say, why are you hating on pit bulls? I'm not at all. I think pit bulls are beautiful. Uh, it's not my personal choice, but again, we have a boxer, so it's not like, you know, uh, would it, would it change your mind at all, Max, that this was a, an approximately 90 to hundred pound pit bull uh, in the van that very well may be trained uh, to protect, for example, expensive construction gear that might be in the back would that maybe change your decision on whether or not you want to smash out the window and start something i think i might try to find a posse to to do that one yeah. that's not something i would tackle by myself but it, i think it's just reading the dog's body language if if it's in if it's in trouble like if it's clearly struggling if it's clearly in a situation where it is suffering from heat stroke then i'd probably take the chance uh you know i my my general experience with dogs has been if you treat them well they'll treat you well good call buddy uh, let's talk about this uh, climate cop, this climate police service that Justin Trudeau wants to set up. And I know it's true because Danielle Smith tweeted about it and she would never lie. She wants to be the premier. She's not going to lie. Right. Justin Trudeau is going to hire climate change enforcement officers that are going to have handcuffs and weapons and they're going to be coming after people. W- what's the truth here? What's going on? The truth is way less exciting than that. Ah. So I saw this. I saw this when it first came out from. Uh, Kian Bexty, who is a former rebel media agitator and, and has gone off to do his own thing. Uh, it was, he almost admired the, the creativity in it. You know, he took a government procurement uh, document and a job ad on Indeed, as you can see, it's linked there, and kind of spun it into this conspiracy theory about how there's this facility in Winnipeg and they're going to have detention centers and, and bio labs and they're going to you know, have a weapons armory and, and clearly it's, he's creating a climate police to, to lock people up and, you know, go, go, go on people's farms and, and lock up farmers for having too much nitrogen. Um, and I sort of watched it and it, and it spread around like RT and the, the kind of far right nonsense ecosystem. RT, the Russian news service you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. RT, the Russian news service. Um, there's a couple of uh, wingnut American, you know, I love Trump.com, you know, stuff like that. But then the probable next premier of our province picked it up and gave it oxygen. And I kind of had to deal with it seriously. So I called people in the minister's office for environment and climate change Canada and just said, look, what is actually the case here? And they walked me through it. They said, you know, it's a replacement of an old facility in Winnipeg here. You know, here are the reasons why we would need a wet lab because we have to, uh, you know, dissect animals. This, this is a wildlife officer, uh, space. Uh, you know, why do we need weapons? Because sometimes when you go out in the bush and there's bears out there, you might want to be able to defend yourself. Uh, you know, nothing nefarious, nothing, nothing to do with climate change at all. These are these are mostly people enforcing the the sort of existing statutes under Environment Canada that were there when Stephen Harper was prime minister. Um, you know, these are jobs that the Alberta government has and has had for many many years. These are people who keep you know, uh, fish and wildlife safe, that, that deal with hunting enforcement, that, you know, that protects species at risk. These are all things that we should want and are not controversial. But it seems like you attach climate change to anything with this government and the right can turn it into a conspiracy theory. And, you know, so I pointed this out to Miss Smith. I pointed this out in a long thread. She continues to do it. She has not backed off in any way, shape or form. And, you know, it this is the kind of stuff that 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 is dangerous you know i don't want to link this directly to what happened in grand prairie but you know when you fill people's heads with these ideas that you know the, the government is coming to get them that the government is going to 
create a paramilitary you know police that is going to enforce their their nefarious climate intentions you wind people up and sometimes people get wound up too far so you know if daniel smith wants to to talk about smaller government lower taxes um you know uh, choice in education choice in private health care fill your boots those are totally legitimate conversations for us to be having let the best vision of the future win but when you are filling people's head with demonstrable nonsense that makes them angrier that makes them more fearful that makes them more scared that is crossing a line and we need to call that out immediately when it happens why do you say you don't want to link it to what happened in grand prairie is it just because you don't want to like put it you know elliot mcdavid's action on daniel smith's shoulders because i think that you can directly link. i mean if you if you look at what Mr. McDavid told Charles Rosnell, the investigative journalist, Charles reporting at the TIE, uh, he basically was fueled by anger around, in his mind, the thousands of people that have died from the vaccine and the fact that the uh, federal government is is attacking Canadian farmers with this this fertilizer initiative to, to try to get emissions under control. So, I mean, a lot of the the uh, fuel being poured on these fires is coming from the cherry cans being held by politicians seeking office or media outlets, independent or otherwise, that are sympathetic to those politicians. Maybe we need to speak more directly about that. Maybe we need to make that point. Maybe we need to draw more direct lines. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I just I try not to give them reasons to wriggle out of what is a broader conversation by by sort of saying oh well there's no direct evidence that he was inspired or motivated by this this specific form of misinformation sure. therefore you're exaggerating you're making things up so you know i think you're right but i think it, it's cleaner and easier for those of us who want to see a better version of politics to sort of stay a little more general and just say this is this is cancer for people's brains and we need to stop feeding it to them and and you know not get into the sort of point by point about the, you know which individual person believes which individual conspiracy theory max isn't the federal government doing kind of a lousy job of communicating the reality or the truth about this like i understand the political strategy of ignoring something or ignoring someone until it goes away because it always goes away until it doesn't couldn't the federal government sort of put a stop to all this with quick clarification and some information blitzes and an effective public information campaign on subject matter that people might actually appreciate. They're doing a horrific job, like just truly horrific. And when I talked to the person in Minister Gibo's office the other day, that's what I told them. I said, you know, part of this is a vacuum that is being filled by bad faith actors. You know, you look at the conversation around the, the fertilizer quote unquote ban, um, you know, there have been farmers groups who have come out and said, like, no, this is we know this isn't true, but the absence of information is creating space for people to fill it with with silliness. And, you know, ironically, Jason Kenney retweeted a CBC article yesterday that said that misinformation was hurting farmers. So absolutely, the feds have a habit of kind of cleaning up messes after they make them on this stuff. This has sort of been a running theme with their climate policies. I've, I've criticized them about this almost from day one, that, that they have focused far too much on the policy aspect and not nearly enough on the strategic communications aspect. And that's that has to be more than just, you know, doing pressers or talking to mainstream media. It has to be fighting these battles in the spaces where they're being fought right now, which is Twitter, which is Facebook, which is social media, you know, doing 
I don't know, doing TikToks, whatever it might be, find a way to reach the people who need this information. Uh, and they're doing a very poor job of that right now. And, the, and as a result, we have this culture of misinformation and fear mongering that has kind of taken root. And I honestly don't know how we dislodge it uh, absent a really sort of united effort on the part of conservative politicians to stop fanning these flames. You know, once, once you get a forest fire that's out of control, uh, the, the first step is removing the fuel. Well, and that's I, like, I, I, sometimes I just don't even want to verbalize something, but you know, you think of had this scenario in Grand Prairie gone even more sideways, right? Like had there been physical violence, uh, whether it was a shove or something worse, I mean, had it I don't even need to spell that part out, but but had this turned into something tragic that we have seen like in the United States and in the UK, in particular, female politicians, but not exclusively, but in particular, female politicians being stabbed and shot and killed. And had we found out that this perpetrator hypothetically was motivated by anger around specific misinformation then what does accountability look like for the people that have pushed that misinformation out? Like now we're having real talk about what consequences should be. Uh, you know, Gilles watching us live right now on YouTube in our chat, Max, he says the irony is that the United Conservative Party right now is actually attempting to create its own new policing entity. Uh, and I see that Danielle Smith over the past couple of days is saying that in her mind, this reiterates the need for an Alberta provincial police force. Uh, what, what do you make of all that? Yeah, it's frustrating that that she is so clearly misrepresenting how the Constitution works, how divisions of power work in our country. I, honestly, it feels like a lost cause at this point trying to explain this to her and her supporters. You know, uh, you know, people like Howard Anglin, who is not exactly a uh, leading heart lefty, you know, Jason Kenney's former principal secretary, a, a very smart guy in his own right. He's come out and said that this is a fantasy. This is nonsense. You know, all of this stuff with the Alberta Sovereignty Act is is just going to get tossed out the moment it hits the courts, but she doesn't care. Her, her objective is to get people angry, get them riled up, get them to vote for her, and she'll clean up the mess afterwards if she even has to. I think you're right about that, that you know, if things had gone worse in Grand Prairie and there was a, a linkage with some specific piece of misinformation, maybe there's criminal issues. Maybe there's a criminal charge that, that gets applied there to someone who's spreading it. The problem is we haven't seen that really in the United States. You know, the United, we're doing everything the United States did five years later on this stuff. And, you know, the, the, the organizations, the people down there who have been spreading the, the toxin of misinformation into people's brains haven't really been held to account. You know, there was that one incidence with, um, you know, the elections, the, 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 you know, the harvesting of ballots and, and the voting machines where, a, you know, the voting machine company actually sued Fox News and a bunch of other people. That was good, but it really is sort of a, a bit of a one-off down there. And I think it would be tough to do that up here, it just, it, you know, it, it's, it's a big hurdle to clear. The other question I have is why are we waiting for someone to get killed? Why are we waiting for someone to get physically attacked before we actually do what is required to tamp this down? And, you know, I, I've seen conservatives saying, oh, well, this is, you know, this is Christian Freeland's fault for freezing people's bank accounts. This is Justin Trudeau's fault for saying mean things about unvaccinated people. You are the party of personal responsibility. So why don't you go and start taking some for this behavior? What do you think 
uh, about the implication. I mean, I know I understand that the RCMP in a release, I think it was yesterday on Tuesday, said that they are looking into or that they confirmed that they're investigating the incident, which could just mean they're taking a look at the video. It, it doesn't necessarily imply anything, but it does move a story forward when it, when a police force indicates that it is actively investigating something. Um, this might not be the most popular of takes, but I'm not convinced uh, that while this was gross and threatening and inappropriate and lowbrow and all of these things troubling and a manifestation and all these things I, I i'm not sure and i'm not an expert in the criminal code and i'm certainly not a prosecutor and i'm definitely not a judge but i'm not sure i see the law being broken there uh, can you take us into whether or not you know, people are saying this guy should be charged i'm not sure about that i'm not saying perhaps the deputy pm shouldn't have a security detail I'm not saying we don't need to directly confront anger and what the cause of that anger is, but I'm not sure that this warrants charges. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm with you there. And it's a, you know, it's an unpopular position to take, I think, but there's a difference between what is allowed and what is criminal. Um, and what he did was uh, awful, terrible, wrong, you know, any name it any 10 ways you want, but I agree. I'm not sure that there is the case for a criminal charge here. Now, again, not a lawyer. So if the lawyers out there say that there is a, you know, a slam dunk case here, then, then I yield to them. But, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that that is the way to pursue this. You know, I think we have a right to tell our politicians to F off. It's not, we shouldn't do it. It's uncouth. It's uncivilized, but we do have that right. Yeah. Um, I think where, where we need to be drawing the line is, taking a step back and saying, where does this anger come from? Why are people like Elliot McDavid so angry? And who is making them angry? Who is keeping them angry to what purpose? And try to find ways to, to bring that temperature down there. You know, we, even, if you, even if you prosecute him and he goes to prison, um, he'll, he'll be a hero. Of course, he already people, is, and right? and he'd be more of it. You're right. I mean, just look at the. I'm not comparing the circumstances. I'm just saying, you know, you look at the the pastors that were jailed uh, through the pandemic for continuing to congregate and you know continuing to draw hundreds of people together in person, and and what happened? Fundraising, book deals, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're making them into a martyr, and and there's a whole ecosystem out there that will reward them for for yeah. their martyrdom, uh, you know, in the states and even here. So. I'm not sure that's the way to go. Again, I, I yield to law enforcement and, and the legal community, but I think the rest of us need to be focused on how do we bring this temperature down? How do we, and how do we encourage our conservative politicians and pundits to, to do their part? You know, there was a, a story that, that came out the other day, I think probably motivated by Pierre Poiliev saying, well, you know, it was bad what happened to Christian Freeland, but oh my goodness, can you, have you heard what happened to me? Um, which was silly and ridiculous, but a story came out that Travis Tays and Brian Jean had both been subject to threats, um, violent threats uh, in the course of the leadership campaign. This is not an issue that just affects progressives. This is not an issue that just affects left-wing politicians. Eventually, if you get people riled up and angry and you don't do what they want, they will turn their guns on you. And Jason Kenney is the best possible example of that. You know, he spent years kind of stirring this pot, keeping it hot, keeping it spicy. And then when he didn't do what some of the people there wanted him to do, they turned on him and now he's out of a job. Um, so, you know, there's an, there's a lesson here for conservatives that if you, if your whole sort of strategy is keeping people angry, there's, there's a dead end at some point for it. And, and it, you know, it behooves them to go to a different place, uh, a place where 
you know, you, you're, you're making people hopeful, you're making people optimistic, you're trying to inspire them about their futures, you know, that, to me, that was why Jason Kenney got elected in 2019, because he presented an optimistic vision for the future of the province. Mm. Uh, the, you know, the fact that he walked away from that so clearly, and the consequences of that should be a lesson to every conservative politician in this country. It is not one that they seem to have learned. Erica is watching, says, I wonder if all the people excusing the attack on the deputy prime minister would also excuse it if, for example, an extreme environmentalist did the same thing to Daniel Smith. Uh, I mean, there, there are examples of conservative politicians being targeted. I don't think that this is, is something that's exclusively limited to like right equals angry, left equals Teflon. It's not that. Um, I think that right now we would at our own peril bury our heads in the sand and pretend like we can't figure out which party or which members or which political affiliation appears to be the angriest or at least exhibiting that anger. Uh, like I think that they would actually, you know, honking horns in downtown Ottawa for three weeks uh, allowed us to remember that. But that's not to absolve anybody else of responsibility. I, I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't want to compare scenarios, but, you know, I, re, I remember Maxime Bernier having an egg smashed on the top of his head. I remember Premier Ralph Klein getting pied in the face many years ago. Um, there was the uh, I, I'm not totally 100 percent familiar with the story, but I believe Calgary City Councilor Jeremy Farkas at the time he was seeking uh, election as Calgary's mayor was spat upon like you know, this stuff all needs to be called out. And when people, the sort of the what about the what about ism around this, where I say this, I said, this is, you know, I don't remember my exact words, but something like, like, you know, troubling and unacceptable and terrifying or something like that. And someone says, well, what about this? What about when it happened to this person? I go, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. What about it? Exactly. What about it? It's unacceptable. And maybe that's somewhere we can meet in the middle. I don't know. To acknowledge that this isn't how we want to treat public officials, it's not how we want to treat our fellow human beings, that maybe we could be a little bit more civilized. But, I mean, it's been reiterated to me through this and many other things that we're not all on the same page there. Yeah, I mean, there was a really, this is not something I say often, but Lori Goldstein, who is, a, I think, an editor emeritus with the Toronto Sun, but sort of, a, you know, one of the... Uh, Eminence greases of conservative uh, punditry. He he pointed out that when the Boston Marathon bombing happened, Justin Trudeau said that we should look into the root causes of the anger behind that. And his point was, well, why aren't we looking into the root causes of the anger today? And I said, well, it's a, like that is a good point. That is a fair point, but it's not one that you can make when you are just trying to what about somebody. You have to actually be serious about it on both sides. And the problem is back in 2013 with the Boston Marathon bombing, when Trudeau said that, he was raked over the coals by people like Lori Goldstein for wanting to look at the root causes. So there's just sort of a dishonesty and hypocrisy on the part of people who are what abouting this that I think everyone else can kind of pick up on. And once there is sort of a serious commitment to getting to the bottom of this, then things will change, you know? And there are people like Lisa Raitt, people like James Moore, who aren't doing that, who are still nominally part of the conservative movement. But, you know, I think when they are on the verge of electing Pierre Poiliev as their leader federally and Daniel Smith as their leader here in Alberta, it doesn't tell me that they're serious about changing their ways. It doesn't tell me that they're serious about sort of uh, quitting uh, their addiction to, to, to rage and to getting people amped up. And I think we have a, a hard row ahead of us, you know, b- before we see any sort of meaningful progress on this issue unfortunately 
Max, before we let you go, uh, Alberta's budget surplus looks like it's going to be. So says Premier Jason Kenney, um, $13.2 billion. They were expecting it to be $551 million, So obviously a dramatic increase there. And it gives the government an opportunity to, I think, make a clear statement about what its priorities are. What makes it interesting, I said it earlier in the show, is that you've got Saskatchewan and Quebec sending checks back to their citizens, back to their taxpayers, or, or, or to everybody for that matter. Um, and, and I know that some of the people in Alberta that have seen their cost of living go up would like to see that, the so-called Ralph Bucks. You know, I don't know what you'd call them now, but uh, Kenny's Sense or something like that. Now, of course, there's going to be a new conservative leader, and so the government's priorities might change. But as of right now, Finance Minister Jason Nixon says they're going to take a big chunk and pay off some of Alberta's debt. And they're going to put, you know, three, four billion, whatever it ends up being into the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. What would you do? And all things considered, budget implications, current economic climate, political capital. What would you do with a 13 billion dollar surplus if you were the premier of Alberta? See, well, so there's two different answers here. If I was the premier of Alberta, I would do what he is doing um, is the prudent thing to do. Uh, you can't really commit to spending that your successor is going to have to spend. That That's not fair game. So I think paying down the debt, there's there's never anything wrong with paying down debt, especially when interest rates are rising. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saving for the future. That's a good thing as well. I think the re-indexing of the income tax in Alberta is interesting. You know, the NDP has been on that for a little while. That's a gift to to higher income people, uh, obviously, because they benefit proportionally uh, or disproportionately rather from that. But that's okay. You know, conservatives are allowed to have the priorities that conservatives have. If I was, let's say, Rebecca Schultz, the the you know the new premier of Alberta, or Danielle Smith, I would put it into healthcare and education. That that is going to be what the NDP is probably going to run on, and it's going to be a very effective thing for them to run on. You know, the the Conservatives have waged war on those two pillars of our of our province for the last you know four years, uh, at I think great cost to most Albertans. And you know, we have major concerns about the healthcare system, major concerns about uh, you know the viability of of access to services, and and I think that would be a really smart play to kind of tie the NDP's hands behind them and say, look, we gave all this money back to these two sectors. We're reinvesting in Alberta. I don't think that's what they're going to do, especially if it's Danielle Smith. I, I think there's almost no chance that she reinvests in social services. I suspect she will cut taxes further. Um, she will find some way to, you know, really double down on, on her existing value set. But my play would be a different one there, which is probably why they're not hiring me as a strategist. Well, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, no, actually I would rule it out. Um, no. <laughs> did I hear, did I hear a little hint there that you think that Rebecca Schultz might come up the middle and be the next premier of Alberta? So that was, that was where I put my chips. Uh, I think four weeks ago, six weeks ago, I was doing some other media hit. I said, you know, she, she if there's a lot, if there is an sort of unexpected winner here, if there's a, if there's an Andrew Shear, it's going to be Rebecca Schultz. Yeah. Uh, and definitely hearing a lot here in Calgary from, you know, the, the sort of quiet corporate Calgary backers that that she's their candidate of choice. So, you know, if it's not Danielle Smith, that's who I think it will be. And if it is Rebecca Schultz, the NDP is in deep trouble. I because was, she is she is going to be incredibly difficult for them to beat. I I, I think uh I like the pick. Rebecca Schultz got a lot of credit for how she negotiated Alberta's childcare deal. She has the endorsement of former Premier Brad Wall out of Saskatchewan. She has the endorsement of Ronna Ambrose, uh, who could have been prime minister if she wanted to be, let's be honest. 
Um, yeah, uh, like has ministerial experience, children's services. She's likable. She's marketable. I sound like I'm doing a Rebecca Schultz ad right now, but <laughs> I'm just calling him how I see him. Um, I do not hold a UCP membership. I will not be voting in the leadership race, but I wouldn't be surprised to see her. It would be also just a little factoid. I know you know this, Max, but it would be the second consecutive Alberta premier that was born in Saskatchewan, which would be interesting as well. Uh, make sure you read yeah. Max Fawcett's work, all of it, in Canada's National Observer. He's the lead columnist there, and give him a follow on Twitter if you don't already. I doubt that, at Max Fawcett. Thanks for doing the show, pal. It's nice to see you. You too, anytime. I saw somebody say on the on the live chat. Somebody also brought up the uh, the Jean Chrétien, uh, you know, back in 1995 when he uh, was confronted by a protester. I just did a quick search. I'm not going to pretend like I know this off the top of my head. It was Bill Clinet that approached the prime minister on a campaign stop, and Clinet, uh, an anti-poverty advocate who was taking issue with or wanted to draw attention to changes that Chrétien's liberal government was making to the employment insurance. Uh, legislation in Canada and uh, he approached the prime minister and that's when the prime minister literally took things into his own hands and applied a chokehold to this protester earning the nickname the Shawinigan Strangler Uh, that was Reform Party MP Deborah Gray out of uh, Alberta out of uh, the Reform Party Press Manning's Reform Party at that time that applied that nickname but a lot of people said you know I mean this was I I don't know if it was as divisive as the news torqued it out to be I remember this 1995 no internet it was all on TV and it was basically the chatter you heard around you but uh, you know some people uh, I I don't know if they were you know I know that people wanted to pile on Jean Chrétien about this to me if you're a head of state you know not even a head of state who cares uh, even me, <laughs> I don't care who you are. If you approach me and get right in my face and I don't know if you're going to stab me in the gut or not, I wouldn't rule out me putting my hand around your throat. If I you think get, it's just a reaction. If you, like, it's a reaction. Like, like yeah. you get right into it, let alone if you're the prime minister of Canada, you don't know if this guy has dynamite strapped to his chest. You have no idea. So Chrétien protects himself and gets his hands around this guy's throat and kind of starts to choke him out until obviously the security detail jumps in. What I remember a lot of the conversation being around was how did that guy get so close to the PM? Mm-hmm. It's like the Shinzo Abe assassination in Japan just a short time ago. Even what happened with like, Freeland? How like, did that guy get? Well, the, that's what I'm saying is how are people getting so Deputy close? Prime Minister. But you look at, I mean, it's on people's radar, right? You know, the mm-hmm. itineraries are released. The prime minister will be here on this day announcing this. But I said even on Monday when we started this conversation, like, do you think that would happen to Kamala Harris? Like, no way. That guy wouldn't have gotten five feet from her and yelling at her. He would have been on the floor. Secret Service. It's just, I don't know. It seems seems a little ridiculous that it keeps happening to Canadian politicians. Ask Gabby Giffords if anyone can get a shot off on an American politician. It still happens. Yeah. But you're right. The the Secret Service, the security detail is... But but, but again, they've had presidents assassinated. Yeah. You know, and, and I appreciate what Max says. Like, why do we have to wait for somebody to get killed? But we know the answer to that. The answer to that is because that's how we operate as a society. You can say this intersection is really unsafe mm-hmm. or this speed limit needs to change here. Until something happens. But until something happens, it's like nobody really seems to give a rip. I've been noticing more and more of these lawn signs going up in our neighborhood. People are, It's a city of Edmonton initiative, our home city, obviously, but I'm sure that this is happening across the country. Uh, you can order these lawn signs. They're saying, please slow down. This is our community, mm-hmm. 40 kilometers an hour. It's There's like, a ton in the Yeah, you're seeing a lot of those where too. Where we live, yeah. Chappelle... Uh, Yager Ridge, uh, I forget what the area is. Is it Heritage something? Yeah. I, I don't know where I live. No. But yeah, uh, they're they're taking it upon themselves. 
to kind of put up these signs and say, slow down. Cause obviously people don't see that a lot of the, uh, like, uh, in the smaller suburban areas, they've, the, the speeds have been reduced. I don't think yeah. people see across the city, like 30, 40. I know right around my house, I can't go over 30 anywhere until I get out to a main road. So yeah, well you can, you're just not supposed to <laughs> <You> Don't. <Yeah. laughs> all this talk about people, you know, failing to see eye to eye and unable to get along. Um, it gives me an opportunity to mention something. If you're watching us on YouTube, you may know, you may have noticed that I'm wearing my Arcadia brewing company t-shirt today. And there's a reason for that tomorrow. We're going to tell you about an initiative that real talk, is proud to be supporting leading up to Sunday, September 11th, which is Be More Kind Day. And we're going to encourage you to find a way to be more kind to somebody. But there's a really cool initiative that we're happy to support. And we hope that you're going to join us and get on board with that as well. We're excited to do it. It's not a huge deal. It's just something that we can do. You know, that ripple effect, right? Throw a couple. I say throw a couple stones. That's a bad metaphor to use when we're talking about be more kind. You know what I'm saying? Your drop in the bucket, let me say, can cause that ripple effect to grow. And we can all be more kind to one another. That's coming up Sunday, September 11th. We'll share the details with you on tomorrow's Real Talk. That'll be Thursday, September 1st. It's going to be a late start live. We're going to start it at 9 o'clock. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. It's because as a family, we have a tradition of walking our little guy to his first day of school every year. So we're going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to come in here with my heart exploding and I'm going to tell you all about it. And then uh, we're, we're going to we're going to talk to Astro Katie, which I'm super excited about uh, astrophysicist and uh, this leading up to the big NASA launch. Uh, humanity is going to go back to the moon with this new project. The launch was delayed. It was supposed to be on Monday. Artemis, is it going to happen? Well, there hoping it's Friday, uh, but we're off on Friday. We're off on Monday for Labor Day. And so we reached out to Katie and said, would you be able to do this for us uh, on Thursday? We think it's the day that makes the most sense. So tomorrow's Real Talk starts a little bit later live. Uh, Katie Mack will be our star of the show. Um, She's a big get, to be quite honest with you, a captivating storyteller when it comes to matters of space and exploration. And uh, that's going to be a show. If you're listening on the podcast, like most of you do, you will notice no difference. It will be arriving in your uh, download podcast right at the same time that it normally does and then again we're off friday we're off monday that means trash talk coming up tomorrow as well every wednesday yeah we've got some great trash talk submissions by the way one of them is just aimed right at me and i don't mind it one bit we welcome a difference of opinion and so we're going to get to those coming up tomorrow presented by our friends at local environmental every wednesday we have a chance to take ourselves out to the mountains so to speak and to celebrate the beauty that lies within jasper national park it's my jasper memories presented by our friends at tourism jasper You've seen a selection before from their Venture Beyond series. I love this video series. It's a way to meet the Jasper locals, to understand what makes them tick, to get into their stories. They've just released a new one celebrating Alyssa Cummings' return from a brain injury as a young woman entrepreneur in the male-dominated industry of bike guiding. She's had her fair share of challenges, but none greater than a tragic head injury she suffered in high school that made doctors think she'd never cycle again. You can learn how she rose from the ashes, so to speak. She biked from Jasper to Mexico and built her business Journey Bike Guides from scratch. Here's just a portion of the feature on Alyssa Cummings. I was told I will never bike again. 
That was really hard to fathom and understand because my whole world revolved around sports. As a kid, you just think you're invincible, right? I'd seen lots of specialist doctors. I'd gone for MRIs, chiropractors, physiotherapists, osteopaths. They all kind of said the same thing, that I was in it for the long run. There was part of me that was like, yeah, right, like I'll bike again, but it's also, it's hard not to feel defeat at the time. It only took a year or two and I was like, I'm gonna get back on my bike. I had a mission. My name is Alyssa Cummings. I live in Jasper, Alberta, and I own Journey Bike Guides. Now that is just the introduction. I have chills right now. I don't know about you, Johnny, but that's just the introduction to Alyssa's story. You can watch it in its entirety by checking out jasper.travel slash venture beyond. I love these features. Now, part of the reason why we're off on Friday is because I'm going to be heading west, and I'm so excited to get out to Jasper again and to breathe that mountain air. I'm going to show you some of my photos. I'll grab some video next Wednesday on My Jasper Memories. And if you've got a memory you'd love to share with us, make sure you use the hashtags MyJasper and RealTalkRJ on Instagram, on Twitter, and you could see your Jasper memory featured right here on Real Talk. Now, I am going to be heading west in my 2022 Dodge Ram. John, what's the trim level again? It's the Dodge Ram Longhorn. I was in it yesterday. And I am loving that rig. What did you think of it? First time. It's got, it's got a real Jespo feel to the inside there. <laughs> You've, yeah. got, you've got the mock wood kind of detailing inside. I love it. It's, it's like you're great. in a cabin or something. It does feel like you're in a cabin, you know? Sometimes I'm driving, I just put my hand on the dashboard. I'm like, I love this texture. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you got that the detail into the stitched leather seats, every comfort you could imagine. What did you think of the flip-down step side that comes down when you open the door? I was like, wow, this is, wow, I feel important. You know what I love about it is is once you put it into drive and you start going, and then the step side folds back in, <laughs> yeah. and it sounds like an aircraft, like, like when the wheels come up <laughs> after takeoff, take you've got to test drive the Dodge Ram Longhorn. The Ram Limited is another beautiful truck. And then, of course, there's that TRX everybody's talking about with 700 horsepower plus. At Sherwood Dodge and St. Albert Dodge, they have your best selection of the Ram 1500, the Motor Trend Truck of the Year. You can find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. If you have a celebration, family, workspace, otherwise, there's no better treat to put in front of your friends and loved ones than a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. That includes their Blizzard Cakes, where you can bring home an instant party. You can start building your cake online, or you can, in person, visit our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. That's where you will find the family-owned Dairy Queens that we're so proud to partner with. It was great to see them on the golf course at Tee Up for Tots the other day. Their charitable connection to the Stollery Children's Hospital is absolutely amazing, and they deserve to be celebrated for that. And as mentioned, tomorrow, an early edition, a Thursday edition of Trash Talk, that's presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services who want to remind you, you can visit them online at localenvironmental.ca. 
That's where you can browse their locations in Callahoo, Greater Regina, White Court, the Greater Edmonton Metro Region, and of course their services that include disposal facilities, waste and recycling, and infrastructure like water hauling, vacuum trucks, fencing, portable toilets. They're family-owned, have been for a quarter century. They keep it local, and that means better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. Coming up on tomorrow's show, as mentioned, it's astrophysicist Katie Mack. We're really excited about it. Give her a follow on social media ahead of time at Astro Katie. You'll see why we're so excited to talk to her about this Artemis launch, whenever it may be. We're going to learn more about why it's so significant. Some of the research that NASA hopes to do in the unmanned versions of those flights, and then once they have astronauts on board as well in missions to come. Plus, we'll blow off a little steam in a health way keeping it real per usual we'll see you soon real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford technical producer john hicks general manager katie cook chivers account coordinator lawrence derlego human resources lena shepherd website design mike johnston Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Metis settlements and the Metis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.